passage this morning is from the Song of Solomon, so if you could turn there in your Bible, and it's entitled Dark But Lovely. The book is uh, found just before the book of Isaiah, if that helps. This book was written by King Solomon um, to one of his many brides. I wonder if anyone knows how many wives King Solomon had. Rather more than a man is supposed to have today. <laughs> he had 700 wives, so he's a very busy man. And um, then that's not counting his 300-odd concubines. Anyway, this is a story. This is a story of, of his love affair with one of those wives. And it's a beautiful story of a uh, relationship bef- be- between a man and a woman. But it can also be taken... Um, We can also look at it from a spiritual perspective. And I've really been looking at this this book over the last year. And the Lord's really helped me to see how how much he loves us and how Jesus is so loving and and how I should be loving him too. So we're going to read from Songs chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Dark am I, and the the bride is speaking. Dark am I, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. So here we see the bride. She's at the beginning of her spiritual journey. We're we're simply going to look at this from a spiritual perspective now. So she's at the beginning of her relationship with him, the beginning of her spiritual journey. And she starts to understand the true condition of our heart, which is dark. Her heart is sinful. But she realizes in all of that, that she is lovely to God. The Holy Spirit allows her to see her sinfulness as well as her loveliness to God. And this is how a new Christian, a true convert, should see themselves. If they've understood the gospel, they'll see as the Holy Spirit comes to convict them of the, the sinfulness in their heart, they'll reach out to Jesus, knowing that only he can forgive them, that, that, that they need a saviour, and then they must reach out for him. But as time goes on, it's very difficult to hold these two truths, that we're dark but lovely, in a really healthy balance. Some Christians can live in too much in one of two different camps. Some, some Christians can beat themselves up regularly, thinking how sinful they are, constantly living in shame and not being able to enter into the true relationship that they do have with God. Whilst others can live in a fantasy world of of the grace of God, I've been forgiven and I will be forgiven for everything I ever do, for every idle word, action and thought. And that's true, but we do have to come to God in true repentance. We must hold this truth in sober balance. I am dark. But to God, I am lovely. And I've found, and I'm sure many others have, that it's easy to become complacent about the state of our hearts. And last year, the Lord really opened my eyes about how nearly after 10 years of walking very closely to him, um, I really need his help time and time again, day by day, to forgive me. Just time and time again. When I first read from Jeremiah... Uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 he wrote the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it 
And I thought that was a bit strong to speak about our hearts being deceitful. And I suppose in that moment, my, heart, my own heart was deceiving me because it's so true. But as we walk more and more in the light of Christ, then that light shines into our hearts and brings out those things that really need dealing with. And now the cry of my heart is what, from um, Psalm 19, what, uh, from, King, from what King David wrote, show me my hidden faults. I need God to keep showing me the truth, true reality of what my heart's really like so that I can start dealing with all of those things. But in all of this, we need to remember that we are lovely to God. We have to really keep this balance right. We're lovely to God even in our weakness. He loves us. He's always loved us and he still loves us even if we're spiritually immature. Before he knew us, or sorry, before we knew him, Before we were Christians, he wanted a relationship with us because we were lovely to him, even though we were much darker then than we are now. And as we realize our sinfulness, he doesn't, it's not, that's, that's not when he discovers that we're sinful. It's him showing us our sinfulness. He's always known what we're really like, and he's always wanted us. And our sinfulness might be a revelation to us, but it's certainly not a revelation to him. The Apostle Paul walked in the light of the gospel. He was knocked off his horse by the glory of God. He had encounters with God. He was taken up to the third heaven. What experience he has, what experiences he had. But yet he wrote to Timothy that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He really understood the true state of his heart. And if if the Apostle Paul thought that he was the chief of sinners, then we really need to get a reality check about about our our own lives. Sometimes we're surprised when we sin. And that certainly happened to me last year. I'll tell you a little story, and this really hurts my heart to tell you this. It's it's not nice, but I decided that I'm just going to be honest. Um, last year, last year in September, we had a week of, of prayer and fasting, just like we were talking about, uh, just like the one we just had, and we were sending Peter off into the, uh, into, uh, to Brazil, and so we sent him off with a, like, like it, like they did in the Bible, they sent, sent off Paul and Barnabas after fasting and laying hands, and we sent Peter off, and the week, the weekend before he went, I bought myself a new pair of boots, these boots. <laughs> thought, I, thought I better wear them. And when I got them home, I noticed that there was a stain on one of them. And then I turned them over and I looked at the soles and I thought, these have been worn before and someone spilt something on them. And I was really not very happy about it. So I thought, well, I might take them back, but that's a bit of a faff. And I hadn't decided. Then it was church the next day, and I decided I might put my new boots on. But I hadn't decided yet if I was going to take them back. But they'd been worn already. And so I got into the car, got out of the house, tiptoed one, two, three steps, jumped into the car, (laughs) parked to the front here, again, tiptoed one, two, three steps. They'd already been worn, though. And I was on a carpet for most of my time. Then... um, Sunday night, I took Peter to the airport, off he went, and then Monday after mother and toddlers, I thought, well, they've been worn, someone spilt something on them, 
and I'm going to take them back. So I went back to the shop and the lady looked at them and I thought that I would get a, a refund immediately. It was clear, obvious to me they'd been worn and someone had spilt something on them. So I was surprised when the lady said, no, they haven't been worn. You must have worn them. These are new boots. They haven't been out of the shop. And I'm not very good at arguing. And, but she said, have you worn them? And I said, no. <laughs> because my point was that they'd already been worn. Then someone had spilt something on them. And I'd had second-hand boots and I wasn't happy with it. Anyway, it hurts my heart to tell you. <laughs> but I went out of that shop angry because I didn't get a new pair of boots. I got these boots. <laughs> but it served me right. And as soon as I walked through the line yard, I thought, no, what have I done? I've lied. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? And it was like that old self, that one that was buried at baptism, had jumped out of the grave and had reared her ugly head. And I was so ashamed of myself. I went home and I was just so ashamed of myself. I couldn't believe it. And I rang someone up to confess, oh, this is what I've done. And they just laughed at me. But for me, it was something serious. I felt that it was a, a, it was a serious thing that I'd done. And I wanted to hide from God. I didn't want to come to him and say, look, this is what I've done. I know you don't like it. I just wanted to hide from him. But Peter was on his journey. He had about a, a 40-hour journey that he was undertaking, and he'd asked me to pray for him. And I had an appointment here the following Monday with Mel. We were going to meet early in the morning and pray for Peter. And so I had to come to God. I had to get over the fact that I'd really let myself down and let the Lord down and just come to him and get on with it. And that Monday morning, we prayed for, for Peter here. And just as, we, just as I got up to come here, Peter texted me and said, the bus has broken down. And if you were here last week, you'll know the story. That, um, that you, and during the, the time that we prayed, Peter was on the bus alone in the dark um, with the moon shining on. And if you didn't hear last week's message, maybe this will whet your appetite. Go and download it from the website. But... We were here praying for him as he was alone and as the Lord was, was speaking to him. And um, so just remember, when you pray, God moves and he hears your pray, praying. Perhaps, if we, perhaps he would have spoken to, to Peter anyway, but perhaps he wouldn't. But we were here on our knees interceding for him. And, he really, and God powerfully spoke to, to Peter and he also sent a new bus <laughs> so that Peter could go on to the end of his journey and and he did so there we are that's my confession my story these are the boots they remind me of it every time I wear them don't wear them that often (laughs) hide them under the under the stairs Uh, but you know God wasn't surprised that I sinned he knew that my heart's dark and he just wanted to show me a little bit about who I'm really what I'm really like so it's so, it's so important that we're, as we grow spiritually, that there's a real understanding about how, what we're really like. After we're first saved, then we can tend to clean up our act, change ourselves. And it's easy to, to think, I don't do this anymore, I don't do that anymore. Uh, and I'm, 
um, better than those Christians. But really, who we, the only person we should ever compare ourselves to is Jesus Christ, because he was perfect. And God's never wanted a relationship with us based on who we are or based on our performance. Our relationship with him is always out of his heart of love for us. And if someone's focusing always on the darkness of their heart, it's so hard for them to enter into the enjoyment and the delight that God really feels for them. Jesus said, God says that his love is better than wine. And his love truly is better than anything this world has to offer. But if a Christian comes into, say, a service like this and spends their time continually negotiating with Jesus, their relationship then they actually stop focusing on God when we're supposed to come and focus on God in the morning. But like here in the morning, as we worship him, we've come and focus. But if you feel that, that you're so bad all the time and you, as you come into his presence, you just keep saying, Jesus, I, please forgive me. Don't reject me. I'll not do that sin again. Then we take our eyes off the Lord and we don't enter into the fullness of worshiping him and seeing how beautiful and glorious he is. We must be able to say as Christians as we come before him, I am dark, but I'm lovely. I know I sin, but you, Jesus, you're fascinated by me. Should we say that together? If you repeat after me, I am dark, but lovely. I know I sin, but you, Jesus, are fascinated by me. And this is a powerful place of confidence to live from. And from it, we can run to God instead of from him. Just like I, I wanted to hide from God. I didn't want to come to him and tell him, look, I've done this wrong. I wanted to hide away from him. But I had to come to him. I had to just get over it and come to him. Later in this love story, King Solomon writes about how the Lord feels to us in a different way. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eye. And this morning as we've come and we've worshipped him, we've glanced in his direction. We've just glanced in his direction and that has stolen his heart away. However you feel this morning, however you think that God feels about you, just know if you've come here this morning to worship him, You've stolen his heart, or as another translation puts it, you've ravished his heart. He's mad about you, he's crazy about you, and you've moved his heart by coming here this morning. So how can we, if we don't understand this, if we don't get how lovely we are to God, how can we start to believe that God thinks we're beautiful, even in our weakness? So I've got three ways that we can understand this. The first way is that we have received the gift of God. We're lovely because we've received the gift of righteousness. We've been made beautiful. We have the same beautiful garments that Jesus wore. Just as we just sung a few moments ago, we wear royal robes that we don't deserve. When we become Christians, Jesus makes a little garment of righteousness for each one of, every, each, each one of us. And as we receive that gift that he purchased for us of our forgiveness, he clothes us with our own cloak of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone and the new has come. When we, become new, when we become Christians, we become new creations. We're not the same anymore. We are, part, we, are, we are part of the kingdom of God and we're clothed in a glorious robe of righteousness. And, and the verse, that, that was verse 17. And we go on to read in verse 21. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might be the righteousness of God. In him we're the righteousness of God. And as God, as God the Father looks upon each one of us, we, he sees Jesus on us. He sees that righteousness of Jesus with us, with, on us. And with that he's well pleased. With that he's satisfied. During this week of prayer, the first night, Peter brought this thought from 2 Corinthians 3.18. Which reads, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So if we go back and look what that means, we now, as Christians, we have unveiled faces and we reflect the Lord's glory. Now, as Christians, we, we, we are glorious. We're not wretched anymore. We've been transformed. We're new creations. We've been made glorious. And then... It says that we that we go that we're going to be transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory. So we're going to go from this glory to new glories. But if you don't understand already now that you're already being made glorious, that you're already glorious, then you're not going to be able to go on to ever increasing glory at all. You need to know now that you're, however you feel, however bad you feel about yourself, however dark you think you are. If you're a Christian, if you've received the gift of God's righteousness, you are glorious now and you can go on to into glory. You know the old hymn, change from glory into glory till in heaven, us, till at last I see his face. That's talking of this verse. Change from glory, the glory that you're in now, not the glory that's going to come. You're no, no longer wretched, you're glorious now. Hallelujah. And as, Jesus, as the Father looks upon us, he's well pleased. The work's already been done. And if you sometimes feel a failure as a person or, a, um, or just that life's hard, I just want to say to each and every person who is a Christian that you are successful, that you've made it in this life. You don't have to do anything else. You are more successful than the most successful businessman Whoever lives with all his thousands and millions of of money, you are successful as long as you've made Jesus Christ your saviour and you're in the kingdom of God, you've made it. And that's a wonderful truth that we must get. We've made it. You know, maybe you won't ever go on to do great things for God or anything like that, but what you've done by accepting Jesus as your saviour is enough. It's enough for God. And as he looks upon you, he's well pleased with that. Hallelujah. So, the second reason why God thinks that we're beautiful, even in our own, even in our weakness, is because we've said "I do" to Him. As when we, when we become a Christian, we become the bride of Christ. I know that not every man is comfortable with that, but it's true. We are the bride of Christ, and we've said "I do" to Jesus. We've said yes. We've given Him our our willing spirit. When we first become Christians, we, 
agree with God that we're going to change. We're going to turn. Repentance means that we turn away from our old ways of sin. And that yes, that I do was put in our spirit by the Holy Spirit. It's only God really that can respond to God. And every time we obey God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And David prayed, you know, King David, he prayed, he committed adultery and then killed a man, which doesn't seem, make my boots story seem quite so bad. <laughs> but um, then D- King David prayed that the Lord would give him a willing spirit. He wrote this wonderful psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Put back that yes that I do in my spirit. So a good example from the New Testament is the story of Peter and how he discovered this truth that he was dark and yet he was lovely to God. And Aidan, thank you for reading this morning from from, uh, Matthew 26. Jesus warned Peter that he would deny him. And then later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked Peter to watch and pray as we heard, and, Peter, and, and Jesus was giving Peter then a glimpse into the heart of a redeemed man, a man who follows God and who lives by the grace of God. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And Peter did fall asleep. His flesh was weak, even though he did long, but he longed to watch and pray with his master. He really wanted to do the right thing with Jesus then, but he couldn't because his flesh was weak. And we need to understand how God feels towards us even when we discover the weakness of our flesh. We must understand the grace of God in which we live. Peter must have felt so awful after he denied Jesus and that shame blinded him to the fact that he did actually love Jesus. He did have a willing spirit. He did have an I do in him. And he felt so terrible that he decided to give up and he wanted to go back and he went back to his family business of fishing, the work that he'd done before Jesus had called him. And he probably felt like he didn't, he couldn't fulfill his apostolic role of leader when he couldn't even stay faithful to Jesus under the pressure from a servant girl. He took what probably felt like the only option out for him to go back to fishing But his heart must have been so wounded by his failure, by his denial of Jesus, not just once, but three times. And he must have felt like he's disappointed Jesus so much they wouldn't be able to face him. And it's when we feel like this, again, that we must run to God rather than away from him. Just We could have an example of maybe somebody who wasn't a very good student and their parents say to them, I know that you're doing your best. I know that you're doing all that you can. It doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter. We'll make some other way. We'll, we'll find a way for you. But once you've got your results in your hand and there fails, you're not going to come running, running with pride, are you, and saying, look, daddy, look, mummy, or mum or dad, this is what I got. You're probably going to hang your head in a bit of shame. And that's, but that's how we mustn't be with God. He knows that we're, that we're sinful and we just need to get over it and get on with our relationship with him. We could have our own experience of, like, like Peter returning to fishing. You know, the highest calling for a Christian person is to follow the first commandment, 
to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is such a high goal and one that we're gonna, we are going to fail in. Let's face it. We can't do that. Only Jesus could do that. And so we might like to settle, for, settle our sights a little lower, settle to, to not, not attain that level of, of achievement. But if we're doing that, then we're going to settle for a second-class relationship with God, and we're not going to achieve what he has for us. Some people find that they can't face God with so much shame in their lives. But we don't have to live with the shame. We don't have to live with any shame anymore, ever, if we understand what God has done. If we understand the grace of God, forgiveness wipes the slate clean. But if we don't understand that, then we'll live, if we don't understand in the, glo- the glorious position that we live in, the glory that we now live in. And if we imagine every time we come to God that he's disappointed with us or that he's angry with us or that he's even exasperated with us. I used to think that God was exasperated with me before I'd sorted out a few issues in my life and before I'd had a revelation of the grace of God. I used to think that God was up there going, oh no, she's done it again. Why can't she ever get it right? That's what I really did think as as a very young Christian. That's what I thought. And then one glorious day Peter preached a message called called amazing grace and it transformed my Christian walk completely as I understood that when Jesus when God looks at me he's pleased with Jesus robes that he sees on me it's wonderful so he's not exasperated with us he knows that we're dark but he thinks we're lovely and so if you've said yes to Jesus if you've said I do to him then when then that makes the heart that moves the heart of God and he's happy with that and he sees within us a willing spirit and the third reason why we're beautiful to Jesus to God and Jesus even in our weakness is because beauty is in the eye of the beholder beauty is in, in beauty is related our beauty is related to God's emotional makeup The affections and passions of God's heart determine how he feels about us. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got nothing to do with us at all. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Have you sometimes seen a couple and you think, and I'm not talking about looks here at all, but I'm thinking, how on earth? What what on earth does he see in her? Or why are they together? What do they see in each other? She's awful, she's always in a mood, and she's always this or that, and you just can't think, you can't get your head around it. But that's because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's a, you know, it's a well-known phrase. And it's, behind, it's because of God's heart that we're beautiful to him. I've had two or three amazing experiences when I've been listening to somebody's story. Because of the work I do, people share their stories with me. And sometimes they're just heartbreaking. And in those moments, I felt a, like a wave of emotion come over me that is not my own emotion. And it's, it's and, and obviously, I'd, I don't have any scripture to back this up, so this is just me telling you an anecdote of, of, of my experience. But it's just as if God's been sharing his heart of compassion with me to, to show me how, um, how amazing his compassion is. One lady once told me that she'd... Um, 
She'd been in prison for three years because of something she told me she hadn't done. And just a wave of emotion came over me, a wave of compassion came over me that I believe was the heart of God, him just sharing how, how he felt about her. And so how God feels about us is truly all about his heart. And the way he views people flows out of his heart. If, if someone else was looked at the same information as God is looking at, he wouldn't think that we're all lovely. Other people wouldn't think that we're all lovely. If you knew everything that I'd ever thought or said or done, apart from the boot story, you know, you know that one. But if you knew all the rest, you would not think that I'm lovely. You wouldn't. But God sees things so differently from man. God looks at things differently to us in every way. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, famous verses that most of us will know. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if we go back to looking at the Apostle Peter, in John 21, the Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 21, Jesus is on the shores of the lake as Peter and the apostles come back from fishing. And Peter recognizes Jesus. He says, that's the Lord. And he rushes out of the boat. He jumps out of the boat into the water and rushes to have a private conversation with the Lord. And Jesus asks him in that time, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asks him the same question. And when God asks us a question, he's not, it's not because he needs the information. He knows everything. It's because he wants us to discover something about ourselves. And here, Jesus is asking Peter for Peter's own benefit. The Lord knows that Peter loves him. But he wants Peter to have confidence in the sincere love that he has for Jesus. Jesus is calling Peter back to that same sincere quality of relationship that he had before Peter fell, before he denied Jesus. And the Lord was revealing to Peter how much Peter really loved Jesus. What Jesus is really doing is saying, Peter, you do love me. In the garden just a few short days ago, I told you that you had weak flesh, but also a willing spirit. But you didn't believe me that your flesh was weak. Please believe me that you do have a willing spirit. You do have a yes in your spirit. You have an I do in your spirit. I knew it was there even before you stumbled. And when I see you, I don't only see your weak flesh. I also see your sincere love for me. And I saw your willing spirit when I first called you. And I still see it in you today. And like Peter, we, I have trouble really getting to grips with the fact that my flesh is weak. But the more I walk with the Lord, the more I see that my righteousness... There's a huge gulf between my righteousness, which Isaiah wrote is as filthy rags, <laughs> and Jesus is the only one who's perfect. So we need, that's why we need him so much. And Jesus sees everything about us so much more clearly than we do. He sees the true sinful state of our heart, but he also sees our love for him. And as Jesus was speaking to Peter, 
asking him the same questions. Do you love me? Over and over again. Three times he asked him. What he was doing was he was breaking off the shame from Peter's heart of the three times he denied him. He washed Peter's spirit with these three questions. And in this process, Peter's confidence in his love for Jesus returned to him. And he goes on, Peter goes on to fulfill the destiny for which he was originally called. That destiny that he was actually running away from. Because he thought, I can never do it if I can't even say that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then how can I go on to build the church? And we all have our own roles to do to, to play as Christians. Everybody in this church is part of the body of Christ here. Either you're an eye or a foot or a toe or a leg. We're all part of the body of Christ here. And maybe today the Lord needs to, you need to have a little chat with the Lord and help him to, and allow him to tell you again, you do love me. It's okay. Everything's okay. You do love me. And in that confidence, as, you, as you, your confidence returns, that, you, that everything is okay with the Lord, you'll be able to rise up and fulfill the role that you have. Because the, the church isn't all about just the leadership team. It's about every part playing its part. Everyone playing their own role within the church. And we need to believe today that the Lord's arms are safe. For us, it's a safe place for us to be really real with him. I'm so blessed to have Peter as my, as my husband. And one of the delights of my, our marriage is that I can be completely myself with him. I don't have to hide our feeling or bottle up my emotions. He's, Peter is as you see him. He's all, I know that when I go home, he'll always be pleased to see me. He always wakes up in a good mood. I never have to worry, is he in a good mood or a bad mood? He's constant. He's always the same. I can be silly with him if I want. That's a very free, if you have a relationship like that, you're blessed. If you're free to be exactly who you are. I can experiment with thoughts, with my thoughts. And, and I, I know that he'll never put me down or laugh at me. He's a, just a, a constant, safe, lovely person. And I know that I'm totally emotionally safe with him. And, and because of that, I blossom as a person. And it's, well, anyway, so it's just great. <laughs> and the more I'm, the more I'm myself with, with him and the more he's himself with me, the, the, the deeper our love for one another, one another grows and the closer we become. But, you know, we all have someone like Peter. We all have God who's even better than Peter. He's there for you, however you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, whatever you say, he'll always love you. Because he never changes. He's always constant. He's always the same. And you never need to feel any shame before him. Whatever you've done, whatever it is that you've done and you can't face him, run to him today. Get over it. Run to his arms today. And only he can help you to know that everything's okay. Only he can do that for you. Before God, we're totally washed. We're free from sin and we're whole. We might be dark, but to God this morning, we're lovely and we always will be. So how should we live our lives? 
When we realize our sinfulness, we have to acknowledge that sinfulness. We can't just be like that person I was speaking about who gaily skips around just thinking they live in a world of grace. It's a fantasy world that we must confess our sin when we do things that are wrong. And we must run to God because it's only he that can help us. And he, it's only he that really thinks that we're lovely. Many run from him in these, in these times because they, they misunderstand how they look to God. But it, remember, it's out of his heart, it's out of his heart of love, that that's what, how, what he feels about us. Let's not make the mistake that Peter made of, a, of resigning from the roles that we have to play. Try and fulfill your role that you have within King's Church. Maybe today the Lord needs to talk to you. Allow him to talk to you. Allow him to, know, allow him to tell you how lovely you are to him. But don't live in shame before him because, you know, a life of, of shame can lead to a life of sin. If you feel dirty before God, then you'll live a dirty life because you think you've got nothing to lose. But this, not, this is not what the Lord wants for, for us. He wants us to strive for his best, living in the confidence that he sees us as lovely and striving to live in a holy life before him. So today let's cry out for a revelation that we are dark, but we're lovely to God. Now I'm going to play a song that is called Dark But Lovely. And it's my prayer.